The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rocker. Good morning, America. Welcome Christian conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTUV, WXYZ people, all the boat rockers who are in the house, and anybody else I may have missed, to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution not to see who's on the right or the left, but who's on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at SonsLibertyMedia.com, and for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns about. I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us here on Rotten of the Core Wednesday. And for those of you who are viewing, if I look tired, it's because I am. <laughs> so late last night, uh, I had a lot of stuff to catch up with. And then I've got to get on things today. Washer breakdown, got to make a drive, get a part <laughs> with money you don't have uh, to keep clothes being clean. So. I apologize if I look a little tired for those of you who are watching by way of our video platform. Speaking of which, if you want to check us out online, go to sonsoflibertyradio.com and also sonsoflibertymedia.com. In fact, if you head over to sonsoflibertymedia.com, you're listening by way of Red State Talk Radio, you scroll down right on the right side of the page. There are two videos that are there. The one is going live. You'll see that. Just click on the sound, turn it up. You can enlarge that. That's right. You can see the face that's made for radio. And um, you can also click on it and join us in the chat. You hear me going back and forth sometimes with some people. And so when I do that, that's that's how you get to it. You can join us in the chat. There's plenty of people in the chat and those numbers go up during the show. So sonsoflibertymedia.com. Scroll down on the right where the second one down. Bradley's show from yesterday is right above mine. You can listen to it and you can watch it. Also, when he goes live at 3 p.m. Eastern time, that comes on live. So you'll be able to catch him on sonsoflibertymedia.com. <laughs> Just stressing that again because Bradley says a lot of people contact and go, oh, the stream wasn't up. I wasn't notified or whatever the case may be. Always go to sonsoflibertymedia.com. We're going to always try to drive it right there. Okay, so no matter whatever you lose us on, if we're deplatformed or put off of something, Here's where you can find us, sonsoflibertymedia.com. Right above that also, again, I just want to let you know, Equipping the Saints, this is Bradley's My War DVD series, okay, which you can you can still get. You can still get hard copies of the DVD if you want them. We've got a banner here on sonsoflibertymedia.com. You can click on that and you can get the, the DVD series. But he has set that up at sonsoflibertyradio.com. Click on it. There's five parts to it. It's hours of information of what's going on. What the solution is, biblically and constitutionally, and how you can do that. Um, 
So if you're asking, what can I do? Well, right there it is. And then whatever the Holy Spirit prompts you to do, go and do it. As Ecclesiastes says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Uh, also, right above that is an area where you can subscribe. And we just ask that you enter your email, subscribe to the newsletter. We don't rent your email. We don't sell it. We don't spam your email. You get one email from us a day. That's it. We don't send you ads, um, <clears throat> you know, like a lot of other websites do throughout the day, you know, two or three or whatever. We just send you the one email from sonsoflibertymedia.com. You get all the articles for that day, some that I do, some that Bradley does. We have other contributors that that uh, contribute to Sons of Liberty. You get those in there, and you get the morning archive that I set up each day. So the stuff that we talk about, all the links, the videos, the <clears throat> whatever we use, that's in that. You get that in the email. Okay? All right. And then finally, if you agree with our message, there's a way that you can help us. We let you know we have needs. It costs money to do all the stuff that we do, whether it's internet or radio or being on the road and out among the people in the States and speaking to them. Bradley's going to be in several places here this month. Michigan's one. Um, I want to say Ohio, but I may be wrong. He'll have to give you that information. But I know Michigan's one because I saw somebody posting it in the Telegram group, which, by the way, if you're watching by way of video in the description, the Telegram link is there. Now, we get some people who I can't moderate the whole thing, so they're going to put different stuff in there. But there's a lot of information being shared between people. You're going to have to be discerning over that, okay? Uh, but we share all of our articles from Sons of Liberty Media in there as well. And uh, be a part of that. Just click on the link, get the get the app, and you can put it on your phone. You can put it you know, on the computer, whatever. If you want to be able to share information or just talk with your friends that you get to talk with during the show. So that donate button is on sonsoflibertymedia.com if you'd like to help us out there. You can also partner with us as a sons of, son or liberty, a son or daughter of liberty on the top of the page as well. And also our store link is there. Lots of products for you, uh, for yourself, maybe for gifts. And you also help support the Sons of Liberty as well. All right. So with that said, I want to start off the show with a couple of things and I'm going to bring Lynn in. You know, we constantly refer to Deuteronomy 28. God gives us blessings in the first, I think it's 12 verses. And for the rest of the chapter, he lays out curses. Now, why is that? The first part is if you're obedient. The second part, if you're a disobedient people. And one of the things that's very interesting is when you get to verse 50. Or excuse me, verse 51. Actually, let's back up and let's get the context. Verse 49, <laughs> the Lord will bring a nation against you from far away, from the ends of the earth, like an eagle swooping down, a nation whose language you will not understand, a fierce-looking nation without respect to the old or pity for the young. They will devour the young of your livestock and the crops of your land until you're destroyed. They will leave you no grain, no new wine, olive oil, nor any calves of your herds or lambs of your flocks until you are ruined. They will lay siege to all your cities throughout your land until the high fortified walls in which you trust fall down. Pay attention to that. They will besiege all the cities throughout the land the Lord your God is giving you. That's pretty specific. Okay, that's very specific as to what's going on here that God says he'll bring about to a disobedient people, one who won't keep his commandments. And I, look, I'm not promoting a salvation by works. 
I'm promoting a salvation that produces good works. As Ephesians 2.10 says, we're made in Christ Jesus unto good works. We're not doing good works to make Jesus accept us. Now, we can't surpass the works of Christ because Christ has paid it all for sinners. We can't do anything to add to or to take away from that. We do it because we love him who first loved us. Okay. All right. Now, with that said, <clears throat> we also have in history a comment by a former Russia, a Russian communist leader, Nikita Khrushchev. Many of you are familiar with this statement. We will take America without firing a shot. He said this in 1956. We're almost 70 years beyond that, and we are seeing this taking place in America. Now, why is that? It's because we've departed wickedly from our God. You can poo-poo the religious aspect and say, I don't believe in God, and you can suppress the truth and unrighteousness all you want to. And God's word is true. It's true even when you say, I don't believe in him. You know why? Because you're suppressing truth and unrighteousness. It's self-evident within you. There is a God. You just don't want to honor him as God. And America has become like that because we've abandoned his commandments. Now, uh, Khrushchev said, we'll take America without firing a shot. We do not have to invade the U.S. We will destroy you from within. And the very guy that most people have taught was this major conservative, Ronald Reagan, was the guy who really set the platform, and every president after him, as you'll hear Lynn, she'll probably allude to this once I turn it over to her, every president after him has given the battlefield, the real battlefield, if you will, to the communists. And that is in the quote-unquote education center. We call them indoctrination centers. The education of our children. Now it's bloomed out, as Lynn has been very eloquently demonstrating to us, both in word and in documents, that this is expounded so much that it's not just our children that's targeted. It's us who are out of school, so to speak. It's being, it's being targeted at us, and it isn't just about education. It's about where we live, what we can do with our property, all kinds of other things that are there. And so I want to give that as sort of as a foundation for the things that Lynn's going to talk about today, because I think it's very important that you understand this issue of education is really the root of everything, because it goes back to Deuteronomy 6. If parents are not teaching their children, if they don't have the commands of God in their heart and they're not teaching them to their children, guess what? They're turning them over to their enemies to teach their children the things that they say they don't want their children taught. So with that said, I'm going to welcome to the Sons of Liberty, the Common Core Diva, Lynn Taylor. Good morning, Lynn. Good morning. How are you? I, well, I am tired and I'm so tired I'm hitting the wrong button there. See, I've, I've got you as as Lee Merritt. Hey, I'm a doctor. Cool. <laughs> well, you you've got a lot for us today, and uh, we want to get to it. And I I don't want to I don't want to belabor the point, but I did want to set that foundation there because I think people need to understand. And a lot of people who are who are joining us join us because they agree with that message. But we always have people come in who aren't familiar with the Sons of Liberty. They're not familiar with the message that's there. 
And so I want to lay that foundation that what we're in is we're in part, we're seeing part of the curses that God's bringing on us. And ultimately, he says he'll bring an army with a different language against us uh, if we are those who continue to be disobedient. We still have time to set things right if we're willing to do it. And that's really the that's the hopeful message that we have. If people repent, we can fix this. But we gotta we gotta see what the problem is. We gotta acknowledge that's the problem, and then we have to fight against it. So, Lynn, I'm gonna turn it over to you. Absolutely. Well, um, we're not going to get to a lot of the stuff that I had in the email because we've got a very special video that I want to make sure that we get in during our allotted time. But I want to point you to my blog. It's commoncordiva.com. And my latest article is titled SEL or Social and Emotional Learning for All. And once again, I show you through the documentation that's in that particular article. How, as Tim stated, this is not just for our public school K through 12 kids. This is for your kid who is in a parochial school, a private school, homeschool, uh, families. This is for adults as well. And one of the ways they do this and one of the ways that have been has been so successful in eroding our nation down to what Khrushchev and others who predate Khrushchev, because we can trace this way back to the 1800s, to the progressive movement in America, is that this is going after the attitudes, the values, and the beliefs. And that as a foundation in your education system impacts where you live, what you do, how you do it, who you do it for, and how you move on. And this is what we're seeing being so eroded, not only in modern day education, but we've seen it down through the ages. Now, in my article, I give you a link to a 1968 document that was wonderfully provided um, for us by Charlotte Iserbite that proves that this mastery-based education, and let me stop right there for just a minute because, wait a minute, we're talking about social-emotional learning. Now you're talking about mastery-based education. The two are connected like this, okay? Because if I take my attitudes, my values, and, and my beliefs, and I can take them over to competencies that I can master or be champions of, then I can get my credential to get my diploma or to get my degree. Uh, B.F. Skinner called mastery-based education outcome-based education. It's also known through the Common Core Machine as competency-based education. So all these things are wrapped up in this nice, neat little package that's disguised as this whole child model that education is going to be able to take care of your child through their social needs, their emotional needs, their health care needs, their education needs, their employability needs. And that's why in the article, you're going to see this circle and it's with blue and green and yellow. And there's a child in the middle and you're going to see all the types of the services that wrap around that particular child. But what's interesting, Tim, is that same wheel was introduced by Anita Hogue and her research back in the 70s or 80s, I believe, as that was the model for the wraparound services that we saw in the Every Student Succeeds Act, like Early Head Start, 
Head Start, uh, after school programming, Title I funding, and all this other kind of stuff that we have spent hundreds of shows on talking about how the Title I funding through the Every Student Succeeds Act was reformulated to turn schools into medical centers that were federally recognized for the mislabeling, misdiagnosis of your child based on social and emotional learning. So maybe I talk with my hands, but that is to, and I know those who are listening can't see that, but try to imagine, if you will, all these things coming together to connect this circle that entraps not only you, but your family and yourself, as well as your child. Well, I, I think that's a, that's good to do to bring the components together because I see that also in the big picture of what's going on with the COVID, the vaccines, and mm-hmm. the the transition into a digital currency and all. Uh, that's one of the things that Catherine Austin Fitz was really good about talking about each thing and then bringing them together. They're compartmentalized until they're brought together, and you see the big picture. Mm-hmm. It's like you you do a jigsaw puzzle. And you see portions of the puzzle. And then when you bring them together, you see the big picture. That's what you've been doing with a lot of this education stuff. You've been showing us how each little component is sort of, it's sort of compartmentalized in in certain ways. And then when you start bringing them together, you start seeing exactly what they're doing. And it's not until you bring them together that you actually do that. And if people don't wake up and put the pieces together and see the big picture, we're going to be in a lot of trouble here. Well, one of the reasons why this has been such a big deal lately, and this particular article has gotten a lot of traction, is because the Collaborative for the Academic Social and Emotional Learning, or CASEL, has recently updated the definition for what social and emotional learning is. Now, in the article, I tell you that as recent as 2016 and before The social and emotional learning was defined as one thing. And then in 2020, while we're all busy being good little whatever it is, staying in our homes and minding our own business and all that stuff, this Common Core Machine laced company or group decides, oh, we need to update the version of social and emotional learning. And that's what I want us to focus on right now before we go, you know, get to this video. So if you would enlarge the first one, Uh, where it says then. Okay, so if you could enlarge that one. Okay. Now, this is what the definition, the official definition by the uh, Collaborative for Academic uh, uh, Emotional and Social Learning is. The process through which children and adults acquire and effectively apply the knowledge, attitudes, and skills they need to understand manage emotions, set and accomplish positive goals, feel and show empathy for others, establish and maintain positive relationships, and make responsible decisions. Now, this was presented in a report, Tim, to Congress on not what we need to do in education, but what we need to do in the job market to make employability skills match that social and emotional learning definition. Now, if we'll switch over to the 2020 definition, I'm going to show you how Congress has made that come true. Okay. All right. All right. So let's enlarge that one. Okay. Here's the new definition. Social and emotional learning is an integral part of education and human development. 
SEL is the process through which all young people and adults acquire and apply knowledge, skills, and attitudes to develop healthy identities, manage emotions, and achieve personal and collective goals. Feel and show empathy for others, establish and maintain supportive relationships, and make responsible and caring decisions. So pretty much we've recycled the 2016 version. Here's where they ramp it up. Social and emotional learning advances uh, educational equity and excellence through authentic school, family, community partnerships to establish learning environments and experiences that feature trusting and collaborative relationships, rigorous and meaningful curriculum, and instruction and ongoing evaluation. Social-emotional learning can help address various forms of inequality and empower young people and adults to co-create thriving schools and contribute to safe, healthy, and just communities. Well, it's like I've, it's like I've said, the socialist slash communists, what they do is they, they go to change the uh, definition of words and use them against us. I don't know why my camera is stuck on the desktop here, uh, <laughs> but who knows? Because everything should be working fine. Anyway, they use this to do this. In fact, I dealt with this yesterday when I talked about the CDC and they're not the CDC, but the Miriam Webster's cha- altering <clears throat> the definition of vaccine earlier this month to mm-hmm. for the sake of the the experimental against the Nuremberg Code, if they mandate it to you, uh, injections of operating systems into your body. And so with that said, one of the things that, that strikes me here is they're using, they use the same tactics everywhere they go. They want to redefine language into something that it isn't supposed to be in the first place. Right. So that's and a problem. I, I, put that, I put that in the article, especially with the, the phrase educational equity. Equity okay. is a financial term. Now, if you look at the particular article, go, go find a dictionary. I challenge you. Find one that predates Common Core. Look at what equity and equality mean. Mm-hmm. They're basically from the same Latin roots. They're not exactly like each other, but they're very, very similar, but they mean two totally distinct different things. But through the Common Core machine, equity has ceased to exist in financial terms and is being applied to people. And it's never supposed to to do that. But I don't want to get lost in that because, you know, that's some people will say, oh, that's out in the weeds and I want us to pull it back. Okay. The social and emotional, if you didn't see it in or or listen to it in that updated F, um uh, definition. You heard a lot of buzz phrases that you'll see in human capital reports from the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. You'll see it from the United Nations. You'll see it from a lot of different places because that's how we're being described. But it all ties back to the mastery-based education. Now, the mastery-based education is for a workforce uh, trained society, which is very much a part of the social and emotional learning. That's laid out for you in the article as well. But here's one of the things, and this is also from Charlotte's um, archives on her blog. In 2014, she published an article about Tools of the Mind, and Tools of the Mind is a uh, organization that is based in what's called the P. Um, I think it's PZD, and I have that image for you. And Tim, that's the one, the circles with all the different colors. 
if you'll pull that up, I want people to see that. That is an that is a Russia inspired um, psychological mindset that's being used in education and has been not only in K through 12, but in our communities and in our colleges. And this is, um, I don't know how you say his name, but it's V-Y-G-O-T-S-K-Y. This is his theory on how education should be. And this has been used not only in the Russian case system, but it's been used in America for decades. And it's called the PDZ or the Proximal Development Zone. And this is how we're seeing this also morph into uh, social and emotional learning because it is um, training us in this mindset. Yeah, what I see from these guys is this, Lynn, and you tell me if you see the same thing. Mm -hmm. They've abandoned God, so they're left with a humanistic approach. Mm -hmm. And so what they do is they go just by simply what they see sort of exteriorly. They don't look into the heart. They don't see. This is what the Bible does. The Bible tells us that it is it is the word of God. It's sharper than any two edged sword. It cuts to the to the dividing of joint and marrow. I mean, it gets down to the nitty gritty, if you will. It tells us about ourselves things that we don't want to know. It tells us things about God that we don't want to know because we want to keep that information suppressed. We want to think that we can determine these things. So when these communists come in, that is their mindset. Their mindset is. We're putting God out of this. We're going to determine what is best for the people based on what we see. And so when they do that, then there becomes this issue of control. And I think that's I think everybody can agree that when you really look at communism, no matter in what country it's been, it's been in, it has become this uh, humanistic, a total uh, totalitarian, authoritarian kind of construct because they are attempting to play God because they pushed God out of the way from their thinking, and they're trying to push God out of the thinking of the people. And so they come up with stuff like this right here that they think, well, if we know what the problem is, it's right here. We can just fix this by these kinds of things. Tell me if I'm off here, but that's what I see them doing. No, and one of the hidden dangers that people are not seeing is that this is micromanaging your God-given emotions and your uh, the skills he blessed you with, the desires that he blessed you with. This is forcing you to conform to a system that we're not meant to conform to. This is also data mining the bejeebers out of everyone because so much of the social and emotional learning, especially in the name of COVID, is done online. It's done through daily uh, algorithms. It's done through the tests that you take. It's done through the work that you do. It's done uh, at the doctor's office. It's it's everywhere. And again, this marries up with the sustainable development goals. Uh, number one, number one is, of course, to eradicate poverty. But then you also have, I think it is number three, which is good health. Then you have number four, which is um, quality education for all, which all ties into number eight, which is decent work for all. So we're being slotted by an unfair system um, of how our brains are supposedly wired uh, so that we can go and be fitted into a slot for a job that might not have been something that we were ever supposed to do, but because the government system has dictated it, that is what we're seeing. Now, let me set up this 10-minute video that we're going to see because it's about 11 years old. 
The lady's name is Bev Ekman. Uh, you can look her up online. I have no idea what side of the educational fence, if you will, that she is on, but what she shares with you goes right along with what we're talking about. Okay. All right. This is Beverly Ekman. I'm assuming mm -hmm. is how we pronounce yeah, her name. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is, she has a series here. There's, there's part four. This is part four of six. This runs about 10 minutes. Pay attention to what uh, she has to say. And here comes Beverly. A person's attitudes taken together compromise his belief system. People typically are unaware of their belief system as it's made up of unconscious automatic responses to life situations. So the first step in engineering a widespread change of viewpoint is simply to re redefine the terms and to ensure that the new terminology feels good. Slogans help to uh, redefine terms, appealing marketing slogans like smart growth, critical thinking, urban sprawl are coined by ad agencies paid by special interests to promote and disseminate deceptive buzz terms to various target audiences such as business leaders and to slap those labels on everything that stands still. The same packaging, the same package technique is modified slightly to market ideas to children. How did Britney Spears and Eminem manage to become popular among eight-year-olds who are typically not yet sexually aware? By targeting a market. Targeting a market or proper packaging of a product helps ensure that it can be sold to and accepted by virtually any audience. Just as entertainers who look like prostitutes and pimps and drug addicts are sold to little children, politically charged curriculums are marketed to youngsters in the classroom too, as Michael Chapman showed you so well a few minutes ago. To do it, the advertisers, who in this case are called curriculum developers, must poll, test, and survey the target subjects. That's those polling questions that your kids got that Michael Chapman show, showed you, to find out what makes them tick. Then they know how to appeal to their audience or market. Wrong-headed legislation emerges from the fact that policymakers are convinced by professional manipulators that the majority of citizens, or at least the big political contributors, actually favor such initiatives as environmental extremism or graphic sex education. Paid provocateurs representing vested interests generate the phony consensus at deceptive lay meetings that dupe the community members into believing they will have input into the decision-making process when in fact the outcome is already assured. Pupils in the classroom are similarly duped via activities, discussion groups, tests, phony tests, surveys, and curriculum materials designed not to teach but to deceive by appealing to the children's egos by making them believe their gut reactions are real solutions without reference to any facts or timeless principles. Creating and controlling the psychological environment requires the application of three axioms. Repetition, if people hear the same, uh, the same phrases and slogans, long enough they'll come to accept them. They will rarely recall where the ideas originated from. If individuals are isolated, undermined, and embarrassed, and outmaneuvered often enough, they will give up or become so irrational in presenting their views that no one who's not already in their camp will listen. 
This is also called marginalization and delegitimizing the opposition, but it's in fact isolation. Then there's labeling. If negative labels are applied consistently, both subtly and blatantly, to certain actions, such as faith in God, and certain individuals and organizations, say promise keepers or just fill in the blank, whatever organization you wish, they can, by their very mention, function as negative conditioned responses. Commit these three tenets to memory, repetition, isolation, and labeling. Their successful application produces a populace that values expediency and group approval over independent thought and knocks out all considerations of right or wrong. The target population will actually work to avoid any appearance of individualism for fear of being seen a maverick in the eyes of the group. This goes a long way in quashing dissent. The goal of life becomes to hide in a social group and to allow organizational leaders to make the tough decisions. Framing the debate is key to climate control. That's what I call it. That is, keeping control of the psychological environment. When you frame the debate, you direct or drive the discussion. That is, you deflect, you deflect attention from what the real agenda is. In effect, you tell people what they're going to think about and for how long. Now, I want to focus your attention uh, on the classroom setting for just a moment because raw indoctrination, which is used in the classroom, entails to a large extent framing the debate just like it's used with adults. Just as in the media, they tend to dictate what Americans are going to think about and for how long, like with the Michael Jackson thing and years ago the O.J. Simpson business, Students in today's therapy-style classrooms are encouraged to discuss, read, and engage in activities that support a particular worldview. As soon as the pupil deviates from that worldview, the topic or the activity is changed or ended. Now, this, of course, is the opposite of free expression or open discussion, but that's not how it's labeled. It's labeled academic freedom. But... Indoctrination, like its sister brainwashing, is a more sophisticated form of psychological manipulation. It goes beyond framing the debate because its purpose is not merely to redirect attention or disrupt the thought process, but to systematically root out a person's support system, their emotional support system. This is something that not only you and as an adult must train yourself to recognize and combat, but you must teach your children to do it as well. There are five basic steps to indoctrination. You sweep away the subject's support base, that's his or her emotional life raft. Undermining parents is a favorite technique, a way of yanking the rug out from under the kids. Bombard the subject's senses with a steady diet of conflicting, confusing images and words in order to impair rational thought and discourage reflection, that's cognition. The technical term for this is, as I showed you in a previous slide there, was thought disruption. The result is a vacuum where the belief system used to be. Once a vacuum has been created, leaving the subject vulnerable and impressionable, and the technical term is willing to receive stimuli, you leave the subject to the desired ideas, concepts, and beliefs via trained intermediaries, that's facilitators and so forth, the clinicians, change agents, agitators. And then, after that, you condition the subject 
through repeated exposure to the desired beliefs using a wide variety of formats and activities. You repeat the lies, in other words, until the subject believes them. Then you test, survey, or analyze the market figures to ascertain whether the new beliefs have been internalized, as they call it, and accepted. If not, you recycle the subject. You go through the whole thing again. Indoctrination depends on the intermediary, say a teacher trained as a change agent, appearing value neutral even though the materials and the agenda are not. Thus does the new breed of teacher, also called a coach clinician or facilitator, avoid lectures, rote drills, workbooks, because instruction, as per the technical definition you and I grew up with, isn't desired anymore. Knowledge imparted in a systematic manner is not the point of the exercise. Rather, the idea is to interpose, smuggle in, as it were, certain impressions, notions, attitudes, judgments, and conclusions into that vacuum created by stripping the belief system and impairing rational thought. In this way, viewpoints that might have been rejected by the subject out of hand will suddenly appear plausible. This means the target population must experience repeated exposure to the same desirable beliefs using a wide variety of formats and activities. Let's take the acceptance of homosexuality. Now, this can be promoted, is promoted, in a variety of ways. For example, one, by offering a new Barbie doll spin-off called the Gay Billy Doll. You may have seen it. Another way is to working with producers to ensure that a wide variety of popular TV programs have gay and lesbian actors and plot lines, or handing out pro-homosexual literature to youngsters as they enter or leave elementary schools, or just keeping the topic of homosexuality always in the news with simple, uh, sympathetic articles in magazines, you know, gay marriage, hate crimes, gay parades, and so on. And then there's launching non-stop ads and billboard campaigns, usually under the cover of AIDS awareness. In a school setting, conditioning would entail an interdisciplinary approach to learning so that the topic is inserted into all curricular areas, like Michael Chapman showed you uh, in the fuzzy math thing. You, you, you put it in. You intersperse it everywhere you possibly can. You slap the message on everything that stands still. The same approach is applied to promote gun control, global warming theory, or smart growth. Same thing. That's very interesting, uh, what the lady has to share with us. And again, I don't know why my screen is doing what it's doing. Uh, Lynn, what, she's getting in a lot of this stuff, and mm -hmm. I think people can understand. <clears throat> this, is a, this is a type of warfare that we're faced with because... They're specific. I mean, she's using terms like targeting. You're 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 mm -hmm. you're figuring your target, and then instead of shooting bullets at it, you're firing weapons. You know, the Bible talks about us putting on the armor of God that we may stand against the the fiery darts of the devil. And so th they're using these fiery darts to attack both our children and us in mm -hmm. our minds with these weapons to get us to think like them instead of like what the Bible says in, in repentance, that we're to be renewed by the, uh, we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, Romans 12, 1. And, and they're going directly against it. This is exactly what I'm talking about. They're suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. They don't want us to know about God. They don't want us to know about his standards and, and his commands. They want to impose their own upon 
the people. Right. Well, there are a couple of reasons why I wanted us to play that in its entirety. First of all, you have in a nutshell what's being what has been used against us for years, what's being used modern day. And also you have since you know that you also have the ways that you have been able to identify how families and parents are being targeted. And so you can twist that and use it to plan your opposition, which we absolutely need to do. Now, I want to point out one other thing. If you noticed in our talk, she was talking about using people who weren't necessarily teachers to help drive all this narrative. Okay. Look at the popularity of what's known as master classes. Nine times out of 10, those people who are leading master classes are not certified teachers. They're entertainers or they're people who have taken their hobby and turned it into a profession or something like that. Those are those trainers and people are flocking to them in the name of COVID relief because after all, if I can't get to school, I need to learn something. So I might as well listen to this person. And um, let's take the example of the recent interview between uh, Prince Harry and his wife and then Oprah. People had been latching on to that because they're sitting there talking about oppression, but yet the people who are sitting there giving the interview are wealthy beyond any measure as far as money. And but they're preaching this message of, you know, citizen oppression. If you're going to preach the message of oppression, let's use someone who's actually been oppressed. Let's not use someone who has more money than sense. Well, absolutely. I agree with that. And this is the part of the problem where I, you know, I don't want to go down the road of uh, Colin Kaepernick. But you know what? If the guy wanted to take a knee and he wants to do his thing, fine. Let him do it. Don't make a big deal out of it. Let him do it. Don't give him more publicity than what he has. The guy has lived in a country where he's been tremendously blessed. And yet he wants to he, he wants to fight against the even the foundations of that. I get the idea of speaking out against Bruce police brutality. But but that's a whole different issue than speaking out against the foundations that are there in the first place. And I think this is what you're getting at um, with what you're saying about people like Oprah talking about oppression. Here's a woman. I mean, and, and she's a black woman at that. She's done very well for herself, you know, in playing with the whole, you know, Dr. Phil emotionalism kind of nonsense. I think real men can can speak the truth. Um, yes, real men can cry. But the fact of the matter is, overall, it's nobody's business of what you feel. It's about what you do. And and now feelings, and we even talk like this. It drives me batty when I get submissions where people tell me, or, or they're writing and they go, well, I feel this. And I, well, what about what do you think? I don't care what you feel because feelings change with whatever you eat or whatever the weather is or any of that. What do you think? And that begins to tell us something. And I think the things that you're showing us is they're changing that out to where no longer do we love God with all our mind. We're kind of loving ourselves with whatever we feel. And, uh, well, and that's driving us. Right. And one of the reasons why I wanted us to play that video in entirety was Okay, we've seen the wheel of the whole child. We've seen where it pulls in the community, which is, you know, the parents and the families and, and everything else. And this is, of course, to align to all this agenda. But I want people to see the illustration of what your child looks like once they go through that. And that is that education hamster wheel. If you would show that, 
And I know people listening will not be able to see this, but when you get the archive, I want you to go back and look at this particular image because it's meant to be very jarring. And it absolutely is. This is called the hamster wheel of academia. And for those who can't see it, you've got this hamster who's on this wheel and it's right, right, right. Uh, read, 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 stress, stress, stress. Um, somewhere on there, I think is test, test, test. And that's exactly what we're seeing happen. And, you know, I put in the article that if we really want to save not only our children, but our families, we've got to be brave enough to jump off that hamster wheel and um, get rid of it. Well, absolutely. And I, the one thing it doesn't have is it doesn't have time for reflection. Now, as a young Christian, one of the things that I would that I learned from, I think, some pretty wise man was when you read a book, when you read the Bible, when you take time to read it in small portions, you think about what it's saying. You think about how it's tied in with your life. You maybe even some guys would take journals or in the sides of the margins of the book and write notes about what they thought. This is one thing that's that's completely missing from this little hamster wheel is any time for reflection, any time to, um, as as the psalmist writes, Selah. Stop and think about that. Right. Well, here's why. If you have time to stop and think for yourself, Tim, you're going to disrupt the whole um, system that's been set up to change what you believe. And we've talked about that, too. We've talked about the use of mindfulness in the classroom and how it's being used not only in the classroom, but in the prison system as well. We've talked about all kinds of this this sort of stuff. And one of the things I wanted to do, uh, I know we still got a little bit of time, but I wanted to run down some of the things so that when you get the archives for this, since we didn't have time to show you the documentation, I want you to look for it. You're going to have the 2016 Casel Report to Congress. I want you to be able to look at all the nine pages, especially the conclusion, because it will tell you what the whole goal of the social and emotional manipulation for workforce-based education is, and that is to encompass not only your child, but your entire community, which means you and I. Uh, you can also find in here how CASEL, uh, excuse me, how the Common Core uh, machine has used career tech education, which is adult Common Core, which, by the way, used to be named before all the stuff hit the fan about how toxic Common Core was. Career tech education actually had Common Core woven into its name. But when Common Core became the hot issue, guess what happened? The powers that be pulled the Two words, common core, but left the career tech education. So people have argued with me on that, but I have gone back in my archives and I had given you examples and you can search for that on my blog, commoncorediva.com. But I also give you straight from the um, career tech education website, which is an arm of the government, how social and emotional learning is used for employability skills or what's known as soft skills. The hard skills would be what you know to do with your hands. The soft skills mean what's in your brain. All right. You're also going to see Anita Hoag's will of how these wraparound services that we've talked about so much morph into this uh, social and emotional system. You're going to see Charlotte's article from 2014 about the tools of the mind, and then this particular proximal development zone documentation. You're going to see the policy paper from 1968. 
And I want you to use, uh, when you look at that, go to page 10 of the document, now not the PDF reader, and you will see a graphic. And this was an experiment that was used on the Chicago inner city schools back in the 60s. We're now here in 2021 and it's everywhere. All right. You're also going to have a resource that shows you how adversity, which also associates with social and emotional learning, is being woven into an updated version of the uh, SAT. And what this is going to do, it's not only going to measure the amount of social and emotional indoctrination or learning that you, the student who are taking the SAT is having, but what your parents' level of social and emotional learning is, as well as their income and where they live and how they live and things like that. Um, and uh, that's pretty much everything that I have for you today in this particular article. Now, what we're going to do next week is we're going to take how this attaches itself to the privatization of education that is impacting those beyond public education, but also more from a Department of Labor and how they have recently opened Pandora's box to open up uh, public-private partnerships for uh, labor purposes or workforce-based uh, workforce education. Yeah, Lynn, somebody's making mention in the chat yes. about uh, what's going on with homeschooling in Minnesota. And yeah. uh, I, I don't know if you want to comment on that in the final few minutes that we have here. But I think Bradley, uh, I think Stephanie, his wife, made mention mm -hmm. of it in the afternoon show yesterday. Uh, yeah. The real, uh, you know, homeschoolers, you've been saying this for some time, that right. if you think that you're just doing homeschooling is going to do it, that's a good thing. And we want to encourage that because in large measure, they're not checking to what you're teaching in this, that, and the other. All So it's a, it's a wise thing. I want to encourage people to continue to do that. But don't think just because you pulled back and went in the woods, so so to say. And look, I can say that because we've done it. Um, Lynn and her family have done it. But but just because you do that, that they're not coming for you. They're doing that in Minnesota. Do you want to give a couple of comments on anything that you know about what they're doing up there in Minnesota now? Um, I do know that I am weeding through an hour-long presentation from the Homeschool Legal Defense Association um, on making your homeschool student college ready. And one of the things that they pointed out, and I'm uh, now this is an hour-long presentation, Tim. I had my belly full at not even 20 minutes in because the message they were preaching was along the lines of taking this social and emotional and employability stuff and weaving it into your home school. And one of the states they featured was how well Minnesota was doing just that through their um, early college, the dual enrollment and uh, apprenticeships. Okay. So let me understand this right, because mm -hmm. I have, I have been at the South Carolina uh, state house mm -hmm. and been in opposition to Michael Ferris, who's head of H HSLDA. Uh, mm -hmm. against an Article 5 convention. And they are lying to you about an Article 5 convention, people. I'm just telling you. They're lying to you about it. We have history that shows we had basically what would be an Article 5 convention, except it wasn't Article 5 because it wasn't in existence then. We had that with the Articles of Confederation. And even our forefathers, as wise as everybody says they were, admitted they usurped their authority in writing a whole new constitution. They were only there to, uh, to, to create amendments for that. Michael Ferris has been 
presented as the champion of homeschoolers, set up HSLDA, and now look nope. at what he's doing. He has become... How do you say this? He's become a Judas to the homeschooling movement, acting He's as though that always been a Judas to yep. him. He always has. Um, the reason I know this is because I sat across in a homeschool curriculum fair across from the booth where they had one of the main attorneys for HSLDA. And I heard him with my own ears lie through his teeth about how Common Core was never going to impact home education. And because I had read the Every Student Succeeds at and studied it and studied it and gone back and used all my research of how Common Core had, in fact, infiltrated homeschooling, I knew he was lying. In this particular presentation, Ferris is not in it, but his poster boy um, is, as well as some other people. And the lies that they sit there and calmly and sweetly tell you I just, like I said, 20 minutes in and I was so infuriated, but we'll, you know, we'll get into that next week. But oh, on my blog, you can see how HSLDA has sold out to Jeb Bush's um, school choice national week. You have, can find out how they are pushing STEM, how they're pushing uh, UN clubs, how they're pushing college and career readiness, career tech education, dual enrollment, the whole ball and wax. Well, and let's add to this, too, that they're already gearing up for the 2024 elections. I know we just got done with one, and it's still a big mess, and there's a lot of voter fraud that that a lot of people don't want to acknowledge, but they're already getting their candidate ready. Ron DeSantis down in Florida, who told you oh, that Common Core was dead. A, oh, and let me, let me give you 30 seconds to hit on that before mm. we close out the show, Lynn. Okay, sure. Um, no, he sold out. Uh Kemp is just the same way. And when both of those who supposedly said, you know, hey, we're going to run on a platform of getting rid of Common Core in Georgia and in Florida, BS and horse hockey, they did not. They rebranded it and they took their voters right with them. I've shown you on my blog how both of them, um, DeSantis has direct ties to DeVos, which I know uh, people think, well, she's not in office anymore. She can't do anything. Uh-uh. She can still do a lot of damage because of all her ties, especially through the day mining. Kemp has some wicked ties as well. I'm not going to pick on these two governors because all the governors are just as guilty because they are all belonging to the National Governors exactly Association, right. Yep, which owns half of the copyright to the Common Core state standards. So you cannot tell me that, that any governor is really free of all this. Yep, that's right. And Ricky says Trump 2020 is kind of saying that tongue, tongue in cheek. Tongue, Trump was doing it to his president. Lynn, Absolutely. why don't you take, we got about 15 seconds. Tell people where they can find out about you. Okay. You can find me at commoncorediva.com. There is a donate button if you wish to financially bless my work. If not, please prayer support, especially in these wicked times. You can find me on localcitizens.org, uh, part of Citizens for Free Speech. You can find, oh, it's local activists, sorry. You can find me on MeWe. You can find me on Twitter and Breaking News Journal TV. All right. Thank you, Lynn Taylor, the Common Core Diva. We appreciate you as always coming on with us every Wednesday. You can catch her here for Rotten the Core Wednesday on SonsLibertyMedia.com. Tomorrow, the queen of mass resistance, Dr. Lee Merritt. See you.